It was good. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. And Ben. And Ben. Don't want to leave Ben out. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Um, when you came in today, you should have received a prayer calendar. Um, that is so that we can pray for our missionaries in North America. Uh, normally, we give out like seven cards. Can I have a little more light in the room? I can't see anybody. So bright. I want to see your faces. Yeah, there we go. That's great. That's great. So, um, it, pass out, we usually do seven cards, and you take one card a day, and you pray during this week for our missionaries in North America. However, they don't make those cards anymore. So, we switch to calendars. So, the reason you're getting a 2018 calendar on the last Sunday in March is because we shifted to something else. So this is how you're going to use that calendar, if you want to, because what you do at home is what you do at home, all right? Today, if you pray for two, like in January, two weeks in January, because it's a week at a time you pray for these missionaries, you pray for two, and then the next day pray for two, and by Sunday, you should be right on schedule with April. So, uh, and then you can start praying for that missionary, you know, all week long, and then switch the calendar, and then pray for that missionary all week long, and it will take you all the way to the end of December, which I think is probably a better system. So that is, that is what you got. Very excited about that. Also, I do want to kind of push the floating communion. Some of you are brand new here. Um, I'll have to say, for me, it is the best communion of the year. You come in, you float in here between 6.30 and 8.30, and you take communion at your own pace. It's not a service. You come into a room where it's quiet, um, and you pray. There's a sheet we give you to go through as you read through it, and then you come up on stage, and you actually take uh, communion at your own pace. It is a really good time to take a moment out of your busy week to spend time reflecting on what Christ did for you on the cross and the pain that he bore and the blood that he shed for your sins. So, um, I hope that you uh, take that opportunity this coming Thursday to do that. All right, that said, we're in a, in a series called What is Your Job Now? This is the fifth one in that series. And I just want to review a little bit and then kind of jump into what we're doing today. Um, first of all, we all know that Job lost all his oxen. He lost all his sheep, they were burned up. He lost all but three of his servants. I will also tell you that he lost all of his children, but in that passage of Scripture, and you can look at it this week, it is either a servant or one of his children that came back to tell him that everybody died and I alone survived. So it is a possibility that one of the ten actually survived the house falling in and came to tell Job about it. It's very possible that happened the way that the text reads. So here is a man that has basically lost everything. And in the opening chapters of this book, this is what he says. He says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't say, oh, woe is me. He didn't say, oh, my goodness. He didn't say any of that. He grabbed a hold of the situation. He leaned into it, and he said those words. After that, his wife kind of had some very disturbing kind of news for him and kind of hurtful words to him and encouraging him to do something that is outside of faith. And he responded to her by saying this. 
Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In other words, Job is saying, hey, we're always good in the good times, but how about the bad times? Why do we think that we can receive some good stuff from God, but God should never do anything bad to us or allow anything bad to happen to us? And then he has these three friends, right? These three friends that pound him very hard. They, they get into him. They say that he sinned, and if he just repents of his sin, all of this will go away. And it gets way tired of them. He, he gets kind of heavy in heart with everything that's happened, with everything he's lost wealth-wise, with the children that he's lost. And in chapter 13, verse 15a, he says these words, though he slay me, I will hope in him. This is a crazy verse of scripture. He has virtually lost everything. He is in a state of crying. He has people just attacking him over and over again and making him feel worthless. But he gets to this point in the scripture and he says, look, if God slays me, I will still hope in him. What he is telling you is, he thinks it's the end of the line. He is sitting there scraping sores with a piece of pottery every day, feeling that pain and feeling the weight of losing everything. And his words are, though God slay me, though it is the end of my life, I will hope in him. Furthermore, not only is he saying this, but he's trying to look for God. He's trying to figure out where God is. In this verse of scripture, it says this, behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. I can't find God anywhere. Now, he's searching for him, and he's praying for him. Now, the reason that Job is searching for God isn't the reason you and I most of the time search for God. He's searching for God because he's ready to lay out a case for how he has lived faithfully to God, faithfully following his word, how he has not done anyone wrong, and he wants to lay that case out before God and talk to him about it. He is not, don't want you to miss this, he is not trying to get to God to say, woe is me, why are you doing this to me? He's not trying to get God to wipe it out. He's not trying to get God to solve all the problems. He is not trying to get God to make things better. He's not trying to get God to even move with power to take all this from him. All he is trying to do is have an audience with God because he feels like he's going to die anyway and to say, this is how I've lived my life before you. This is my case that I've tried my best, and he, all he wants to do is have that conversation with God. So, his attitude is, though he slay me, I will hope in him. So, what in the world does that phrase really mean? And to answer that question, or to start to answer it, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 
and we will begin reading with verse 22. I am reading from my brand new over 40 Bible that I just got this week. This does not work. I guess I'll go to extra large print or something. Or a reader. Yeah, I could just call somebody up. Can't... No, I'll just call somebody up. Um, I'll just call somebody up. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Okay, Jesus comes to storm. Verse 22, it says this. One day... He got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. I want to stop here a moment, and I want to tell you that Jesus is trying to take you somewhere. He is always, every day of your life, saying there is a purpose for you being alive, and I want you to go with me. I want you to follow me. I want you to get into the boat with me, and I want you to go on the trip. It is up to you to decide whether or not you get in the boat and follow him. It's up to you whether or not you decide to go with him and, and travel with him. He's always calling you, because you're alive and you're a Christian, he's always calling you to follow him because he has a purpose for you. And so they set out. Verse 23, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and, and they were in danger. And they went and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. I want you to pause a moment. I want you to notice. The storm was not bothering Jesus at all. I would submit to you this morning that not only was it not bothering him at all, when he asked them to go into the boat, he knew that storm was going to happen. And instead of staying awake, Jesus went to sleep, knowing that would happen. And so, verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith. Now, that is a disturbing, a disturbing question because we, I think I can speak for all of us, are trained that if a storm comes up in our life and if the winds are raging and if things are really bad, the first thing that we do is go to Jesus and ask him to solve it. Go to Jesus and say, this is the bad time. Give me the power. Do something about this storm. Get me out of this. We're all trained to go. And we think that that is faith. But here he says, where is your faith? Now, turn over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Yeah, Mark. Mark chapter 4. We'll begin reading with verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. I want to reemphasize this point. If you're a child of God and you're breathing, God has a purpose for your life and he wants you to follow him. 
He wants you to get in the boat. He wants you to travel with him, okay? He wants you to do that. Get into the boat. Let's go to the other side. I don't want you to stay where you are. I want you to go somewhere else and do something great for me. That's what he's saying. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So there's a fleet of vessels going across the water. Then a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Um, have you ever had a situation where you just feel like you're sinking in water? Has any of you ever lived before? <laughs> right? Have you ever felt like, like it just keeps happening? Um, here lately... Um, mine has been like one bill after the next bill after the next bill after the next bill. In fact, I bought a car for Aurora that I should never have bought. It is a piece of junk. It just is. Now, we've done a lot of stuff to it, so it's not like the piece of junk it used to be, but it's still not. It's just, just the other day, I stopped by the mechanic that I use, and um, we realized while we were sitting there that I hadn't paid him for parts from November. So guess what? Another bill came up, paid him for parts from November, and went on through to the next thing. It wasn't because I wasn't trying to pay. It's just, I don't know what happened, Christmas, something. But, you know, computer systems remember better than your mother. So they, it came up, we paid for it, we went on, right? Piece of, it just feels like you, you have something like that or you have something in your life to just, it pounds you and pounds you and pounds you and you just feel like the waves are coming and they're hitting you and you just feel like you can't get through it. You can't get a relief. You can't go out. Oh my goodness, there's a bunch of water in the boat. It's filling up. But verse 38, but he was in the stern. Who? Jesus. Asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay, I first want you to realize, number one, Jesus is asleep. And when he got into the boat, he already knew that storm was going to happen. They come to him, they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, do you not care? Have you ever been in a position in your life where things are happening to you, where you get on your knees and you say, God, don't you care? This is overwhelming. I feel like I'm sinking. I feel like it's over. I feel like it's the end of my days. Lord, don't you care? So what, what does Jesus do? Jesus wakes up, right? And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In all of these passages of Scripture, these past two, I want you to first to notice that Jesus doesn't speak to the apostles right off. He speaks to the winds and the waves. I often wondered what, what would Jesus say if he was a, you know, a Christian in 2018. What would he say to Peter, who's been fishing his entire life, and this is not his first storm, you know? It's just not his first storm. I mean, what would, he, what would he say to Peter? The big, are, are you getting it? 
the big, not the little Philip fishermen, the big muscular fishermen that can pull in a hundred and some fish in a net and all that weight and all that. I mean, what would he say to them? Would he say this? Oh, poor thing, Peter. You've never been in a storm before. You don't know what to do. You don't know that you pull that line, do that rope, put the sails down. I, I get why you're so afraid. Or the sons of thunder, right? The two guys that have been fishing for a very long period of time. And men, oh, they are like, yeah, let's go get them. And they're really loud and borsterous. And these are rough guys. These are Marines, right? These are Marines, right? They're ready to go. And they're like, oh, and they're scared of this storm. It's not the first storm that they've ever been on. This is not the worst storm that they've ever been on. They have survived all the storms that they've ever been on while they were fishing. Would Jesus go to him in 2018 and say, oh, man, sons of thunder, I know, I know. It's, it's just tough. Let me hold your hand and let's just sing some kumbaya. Let's just, you know, I just feel for you. Would he do that? No, he would not do that because Jesus already knew the storm was going to happen. He knew the guys were already going to be in there, and he wasn't really worried about it because he went to sleep. They're the ones that woke him up. It is not that Jesus didn't care. It's not that at all. He cared very much. So he says, peace be still. And then in verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay, I'm just going to tell you again. That's a little bothersome. Because when we have storms in our life and when we are scared and when we think we can't get through, the first thing that we do is, Lord, help me. Take this from me. Take this out of my life. Let's have tomorrow be a good day because today is a bad day. I want you to take this bad day from me. That's what we pray. And, to, and we go to God and we think that that is faith. And here, Jesus is saying, a prayer like that shows we have little faith. This does not sit too well with a Western American Christian, me, right? Because I want it solved. I want it solved. I want him just to come in and be Superman in my life and just take it all from me and give me a better day. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 23. Anyone want to guess what this story is about? And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Why? Because Jesus didn't want to leave them behind, because there's something greater for them to do. There is the other side of the lake they needed to go to, to do something for him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, 
Why are you afraid, all you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Why are you so afraid? Have you ever stopped and considered that Jesus might be asleep on your boat? He might be silent in your life because you are not in as much danger as you think you are in? Have you ever had that thought? Maybe the reason Jesus isn't moving, maybe the reason Jesus is asleep, maybe the reason he is silent is because you are not in as much danger as you think you are. Your fear has led you into thinking that this is it. This is dangerous. I don't want to go into this. I don't want to do this. I want Jesus to wake up and cushion my life. I want um, heat in the wintertime and air conditioning in the summertime. I don't want to have my heat on at the end of March and a snowstorm outside. I don't want that. I don't want to be worried if I'm going to make it to church or not or drive on the roads. I don't want to worry about all this stuff. I want Jesus to come in and just make everything nice. And so we cry out to him and we wonder why he's silent. And maybe the reason he hasn't moved is because you are not really in danger. Have you ever thought about that? He's quiet because you are giving into fear and thinking the situation is much bigger than it really, really is. Maybe the thing to do is just to step back a minute and say, oh, well, why is God silent? I know that he loves me. I know that he cares for me. I know that he's with me. Maybe this isn't as bad as I think it is. Huh. Man, we, we, okay, we love to make things bigger than they really are. Let me give you an example. Just a few months ago, I said that I purchased a piece of junk. But you know what? That car runs good. I put some money in it, but the engine runs good. And I'm not scared of my daughter driving back and forth in Winston and to school and stuff in it. It's, it's, a, it's a decent car. It's, it's, not, it's not got the best paint job in the world, right? Um, the owners before it may have smoked several items in the vehicle, right? They might have done that, and maybe that's the reason it was a bad condition. But nonetheless, it's still a good car. There's air fresheners. There's stuff that you can do for all that kind of stuff, um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's a fine car, but you exaggerate your situation. I'm here to tell you when you do that, you are actually following fear in your life, and you're making things worse than they really are. God is silent sometimes because you're not in as much danger as you think you are. God is silent. God is silent. Fear decreases your faith. Fear decreases your faith. Here are guys that have seen Jesus do a ton of stuff in their life. He, he's seen them, some of them water to wine, some of them, they, he's raised people from the dead, he's healed people. He asked them to get into a boat, and they were good when they got into the boat, but when the storm hit them, oh my goodness, they got afraid, and then their, their faith went like this. 
I would submit to you today that if your faith is that wishy-washy, just rename yourself Charlie Brown. Come on. If you think that God, you'll have faith in him in the good times and not in the bad times and wonder where he is and, and do this kind of stuff, just work on your faith. It's a faith problem, not a God problem. It's a faith problem, not a fact that God is silent. It's a faith problem, and you have given in to fear. Job never says to God, take this from me and restore me. He never, ever says that. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he kills me, I will hope in him. He has given me this in my life, and even though it's very painful, I am still going to embrace it. And if it gives him some type of joy in heaven, if it fulfills some type of purpose that God has for me in my life, I am going to embrace it because I know that he knows what he's doing. I don't completely understand it, but even if he slays me, I will still hope and trust in him. God is in control, and he is greater than my pain. Come on, church. He is greater than my pain. So though he slay me, if he doesn't heal me, I'm fine. It, it, I will hope in him. Waves, water, wind, oh my. Waves, water, wind, oh my. Waves, water, wind, oh my. Yeah. You just need to give up on fear, grab a hold of faith, and get some courage. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So let me ask you this. Have you ever considered that maybe God is silent because it's not time for him to move yet? You ever thought about that? Maybe it's just not time for him to move yet. I believe that Jesus would have kept sleeping until they got to the other side. I think there was something that the apostles were supposed to learn in that storm. I think there was something that when they were trying to grab a pump, I've never sailed a day in my life. Grab a, I'm scared of water. I just don't like sailing, but it, just go with this, okay? They grab the ropes, they do the thing, they, they paddle whatever they're doing on the boat, they're dipping water out. There was something in that process, in those waves, in that wind, in whatever was happening that they were supposed to learn. Sometimes it's not time for God to move. It is time for you to move. It is time for you to stand your ground. It is time for you to lean into the wind and take on the waves, and do everything you can to keep the boat afloat. It is time for you to exercise faith that somehow this works out in God's plan, and I am going to stay at it. I'm going to be determined to get through it. I'm going to walk all the way through it. I'm going to go with God, and even if I think he's asleep, I know that he still cares for me, and I'm going to stand in the storm with faith until he is finished with me. 
I am going to have the next wave hit me until he's finished with me. Huh. The opportunities that we miss sometimes when we ask God to take away something that is a learning tool for us, something that will make us better, something that will make us more faithful. Are you tracking with me today? Job, it blows me. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Because I believe he knows what he's doing, and he's greater than my pain. Here's what Elihu is trying to tell him. We'll review from last week. Elihu says, Behold, God is exalted in his power. He says, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Elihu says, behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. What is he saying? God is in control of your storm. He has allowed it to happen to you. He trusts you with it. He thinks that you are capable of leaning into the wind and getting through that storm. God is in control. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Elihu also says, he covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rests. Elihu will say, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Elihu also says, God is clothed with awesome, awesome majesty. And then he says at the end of his talk, the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. He is great in power. When you feel powerless, God is great in power. When you feel powerless, God already thinks that you have the strength to make it through your storm. Wait, how does... Like, God is powerful, but then God thinks, um, i got enough strength to make it through my... St-. Yeah, he does. He does. He thinks you have enough strength. How can we accept good from God and not evil? Um, how many of you have ever been in a prayer group before? Just a prayer group, right? Have you ever heard anybody pray this? Lord, um, I don't really know how to say this, but I'm really struggling with this right now. Um, that raise I got to work was way too much. Father, it, this good stuff has just got to go. Um, I know my kid got, got a great great scholarship for college. I know that my wife has also, you know, started making good money with her business. We, we have some great vehicles, some great cars. We don't seem to be struggling. Man, we, we have this house at the beach, and I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's nice to be there, but Gord, I mean, when are you going to stop doing this? I mean, you're, you're so silent in our life. You're not even talking to us anymore, and, 
if you could just take all these good things from me, um, I, I think I would just be a better, better Christian. And I'm just asking you to take all these good things from me. Has anybody ever prayed that? No. Why do we ask him to take away the bad? Okay, because it hurts, because there's pain, because we don't like it. We don't like the phone call from the doctor. And we do pray for healing. I'm not telling you not to do that. But there's a difference between praying that God would heal your life and then just tremendously just because of fear and because you are emotional, ask him to take it from you because you can't make it another day. Are you tracking with me? I think we need to be very careful asking God to take something from us that's a learning tool. I think we do. I'll pray for healing every time. Yeah, sure, I'll pray for healing. But then the very next the very next statement is, but Lord, if this somehow works out for your purposes, though you slay me, I trust you. Though this is how I'm going to end my life, with nothing, I hope in you. I trust in you. I believe in you. Because what I know is that if I think that God isn't present or if he's asleep, the danger that I think I have is not as great as it really is. And when it's time for God to move in his sovereignty, he will move in my life and get me through the storm if that's his will. Do we really trust the God that created us? Hmm. Though he slay me. Um, Jesus was in the garden on Wednesday. And he was, he was praying. And he was sweating drops of blood. And he was praying because he knew that in the future, he was going to be rejected by his people. He knew that the apostles were going to turn their backs on him. They still loved him, but they still weren't going to be around. Two of them would follow him in. One of them would betray him. He, he knew that all that was going to happen. He, I don't know this, but I just think because he's God, he probably already understood the pain he was about to go through with the beatings and with the carrying of the cross. And he was feeling all of that in the garden. And he was um, bowed down before his heavenly father, and he was saying, Lord, can you just please take this cup from me? Because not even Jesus wanted to go through pain. Right? Not even Jesus wanted to go down that road. I mean, in the sense of, do you understand what I'm saying? Because he was asking, can this cup pass? Can we do this another way? Do I have to head into this storm? And right after he says that, he says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, though you slay me, 
I know it's part of your purpose. Though you slay me, I trust this road you have me on. Let's do this thing. Let's take the next step. Let's go through the pain because there is a greater purpose than the pain I'm experiencing right now. Ladies and gentlemen, that's powerful. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what is on your shoulders. And if I do know, which I do know some, I do not completely understand the weight that is on your shoulders. I can't. It's not happening to me. I feel it, but not like you do. But this is what I know. God has a purpose. Stay in the boat. Lean into the wind. Get the water out of the bottom of the boat as best you can. And trust that God will move at the appropriate time. And do as he sees fit and as he wills. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson of 